Second Samuel chapter 11, starting from verse 1. It happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle that David sent Job and his servants with him and all Israel. And they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent and inquired about the woman, and someone said, it, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her, for she was cleansed from her impurity, and she returned to her house. And the woman conceived, so she sent and told David, and said, I am with child. Then David sent to Joab, saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah had came to him, David asked how Joab was doing, and how the people were doing, and how the war prospered. And David said to Uriah, Go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah departed from the king's house, and a gift of food from the king followed him. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord, and did not go down to his house. So when they told David, saying, Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, Did you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? And Uriah said to David, The ark and Israel and Judah are dwelling in tents, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are encamped in open fields. Shall I then go to my house to eat and drink? and to lie with my wife, as you live, and as your souls live, I will not do the same. Then David said to Uriah, wait here today also, and tomorrow I will let you depart. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day, and the next. Now when David called him, he ate and drank before him, and he made him drunk. And at evening he went out to lie in his bed with the servants of his lord, but he did not go down to his house. In the morning it happened that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. And he wrote in the letter, saying, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retreat from him, that he may be struck down and die. So it was while Joab besieged the city that he assigned Uriah to a place where he knew there were valiant men. Then the men of the city came out and fought with Joab. And some of the people of the servants of David fell, and Uriah the Hittite died also. Then Joab sent and told David all the things concerning the war, and charged the messenger, saying, When ye have finished telling the matters of the war to the king, if it happens that the king's wrath rises, and he says to you, Why did you approach so near to the city when you fought? Did you not know that they were, they would shoot from the wall? Who struck Abimelech, the son of Jerubesheth? Was it not a woman who cast a piece of a millstone on him from the wall, so that he died in Thebes. Why did you go near the wall? Then you shall say, Your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. So the messenger went and came and told David all that Joab had sent by him. And the messenger said to David, Surely the men prevailed against us and came out to us in the field. Then we drove them back as far as the entrance of the gate. The archers shot from the wall at your servants, and some of the king's servants are dead. And your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. And David sent to, said to the messenger, Thus you shall say to Joab, Do not let this thing displease you, for the sword devours one as well as another. 
strengthen your attack against the city and overthrow it. So encourage him. When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. And when her mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said to him, There were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ooh lamp which he had bought and nourished and it grew up together with him and with his children he ate of his own food and drank from his own cup and lay in his bosom and it was like a daughter to him and a traveler came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one for the wayfaring man who had come to him but he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him so david's anger was greatly arose against the man and he said to nathan as the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die, and shall restore fourfold for the lamb, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you a master's house and your master's wives into your keeping, and, you, and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I also would have given you much more. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do, evil, to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife, and have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me, and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes, and give them to your neighbor. And he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel, before the son. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. However, because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also who was born to you shall surely die. Thanks, Jonah. If you were to read this chapter, chapter 11, and you didn't know anything about David, you, you didn't know his background, his story, you didn't know the verses quoted about him in the New Testament, you would think, what an evil man. What a terrible person. You know, you, How could this be acceptable? What kind of characteristics are, are shown here? Not only does he... Um, take another man's wife, but he, he sends the murder letter with the man himself, sends him back to, to Joab, has the man murdered, um, covers up his trail, deceit, um, adultery. This, this guy broke all the commandments of, of God. What an evil man. Sort of um, one of those, one of those things that, because we know David, because we know the heart of David, because we know the person David is, because we know the testimony that God bears towards David. Well, we can ask ourselves why. why. Why did this happen? And hopefully as we go through the chapter, we can try and answer that question together. Why did David fall so badly 
why did this blot, you know, this is a blot that's on David's life that, um, you know, if you know anything of the shortcomings of David, this is what you know. Anyone who knows the failure of David, this is what they know. Um, anyone who knows the failure of Peter, they, they know he denied the Lord. His blot that's it's, um, on his life. And we can ask ourselves why tonight. Um, and I, I think before we start, I just want to make a, just one distinction between what we saw yesterday and what we're seeing today. Yesterday, David went through a trial and he learned from a response to that trial that the Lord had put him in. Now, it was because of consequence of poor decisions. But what we see tonight is not trial. This is temptation. And this is not something of God. So what happened to David in Ziklag, this is something that God had used in order to, to wake him up, to, um, to teach him something, to bring him back. But this is temptation, and I think we get that good distinction in James. Let no one who is tempted say that he is tempted of God because God cannot be tempted by sin and he tempts no man. Um, this, we have to say, is a, a fault of David. It's him going after his own lusts and being enticed. So I'll open it up now for comment on the chapter. Um, and I'm sure it's going to be helpful to us because we know who David is. We know um, the testimony born about David and we know the grace of God. And I hope that um, we can answer those questions practically as to why this happened and learn from it for our own lives. Question is how, how did that all start, right? What is the starting point of uh, the fall and, and into this temptation of David? And when we look in the first three verses, I think we find clear points that give us an idea even for us, how we can avoid temptation or learn from, from David's faults. The first point is that David was <clears throat> in Jerusalem when he shouldn't be there. So he was ought to be out to, to fight the battles of the Lord, as we would say, right? To fight against the enemies. That was, this was his task at that moment. But we see he has no motivation and he has no energy, has no uh, motivation to go out he just stayed there um, and this is something that can happen in our lives as well that we are without motivation right to 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 work for the lord or to do something for the lord to have energy to fight the battle as we as you would say this is this is the first point so david uh, was not there where he should be the second point is that um, we read in verse 2 and it came to pass at evening time that David arose from arose from off his couch and walked upon the roof of the king's house. So it seems that David was lazy. He slept or late the whole day uh, somewhere around. And this is no good 
no good attitude as well, right? We, we saw that in Proverbs, that laziness is something the Lord doesn't like at all. He wants us to be diligent. He wants us to get up early in the morning to, to do and fulfill our task for the day. Um, it's often the case as soon as we stand up 11 a.m. or even later, it's, it's a terrible day because we know nothing will really happen at this day because we're just too lazy for all this stuff. Um, but we see this is, uh, yeah, I would say this is the perfect ground, right? Not mo no motivation, no um, uh, la uh, laziness, no motivation, no energy, no laziness. This is the perfect ground to let something grow. And what this is, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes. We see that here with David. He, ex he sees that woman. And what happens? He's told that this woman is the wife of Uriah. And does he listen to that? Does he see the red light, as we would say, from God? No, David, this is the wife of Uriah. Do you recognize this? No, he doesn't. He just over overgoes it. I don't know. Um, yeah, he just overgoes it. He just said, "I do that what I want." The, he, he has no strength to strength to to withstand the temptation, and this is this is something that that happens as soon as we do not, um, yeah, <laughs> are not in the fellowship with the Lord. Right? We don't see, read anything like this that they reduce his time uh, to pray or to. Um, yeah, to, to speak with the Lord, nothing at all in these days. And it's far off, right? Someone who prays stops sinning and someone who sins stops praying. This is something very important that we know this. And uh, yeah, we see this is the starting point of all that that is still to come. And we can learn from that. Yeah, I really like that, Manuel. Um, someone who prays, stop, uh, st someone who stops sinning prays and someone who stops praying will sin. And we see in this time for David, when he was at home, sleeping in bed all day, not out in the battle fighting for the Lord's people. We don't read of Psalms that he wrote during this time. We don't have verses in these two chapters where we read that David inquired of the Lord like we've read of him so many times. And it's just like he was um, back in Gath, when we spoke, which we spoke of yesterday. Um, when he was far away from the Lord, the Lord was completely out of his mind. Um, and and there's, no, there's no fruitfulness and, and there's no... Um, alignment with the will of God. And so he, we really can't cut David any slack here. He knows he knows his responsibility, and we've seen him do it before. He's gone out to fight Goliath, and he even went out to defend Kyla when he wasn't king. We've seen him fight for the Lord's people, and there's many other chapters where David goes out and fights valiantly. But here he, he stays home. We read it very clearly in verse 1, but David remained at Jerusalem. And he knew his, he knew his ministry. In Colossians chapter 4, the apostle says there, tell Archippus to take heed of the ministry which he has received from the Lord, that he may fulfill it. So it's very important that we take heed of the ministry. And David knew his ministry. David knew his calling and his responsibility. And so did Archippus. The apostle Paul says, the context is clear. Archippus knew his ministry. And the apostle is saying, take heed of it, that you may fulfill it. If you know the ministry, it is your responsibility to fulfill it. To fulfill it. So we should be asking ourselves, what is our ministry? Where am I now? And am I where God wants me to be? Am I fulfilling the ministry and, and taking heed of it? 
Just one helpful verse in connection with what's been said in Proverbs uh, chapter 18, um, verse 1. This is what it says. He that separates himself or isolates himself seeks his own pleasure. He is vehement against all sound wisdom. I think we see that in what happened with David not, not going out to battle with his men. He was out at battle that just the chapter before. Um, and we see that God gives him a great victory um, in chapter 10. Um, but he separated himself. And the words in the, in the proverb, they say that he seeks his own pleasure and he's vehement or he's raging against all sound wisdom. He's not going to make any sound decisions. You isolate yourself, you separate yourself, um, you're not, not doing what you ought to do but decide to be lazy and just, um, yeah, spend time alone, um, not doing the Lord's things. This is not spend time alone in quiet time, Bible study. That's, that's not what this is talking about. Um, you want to spend time on yourself, all you're going to do is search for your own pleasures you're going to be completely unable to make any wise decision. You're going to be um, at, the, at the whim of your flesh. And that's exactly what happens to David. If we go through this chapter and see um, the manuals already told us about this, these red lights, you know, the warnings that are coming up and the actions of David, we think, how can this man we know so well, make this decision. His decisions are completely unwise, totally against the character that, that we know of. Even Joab knew his character. So one thing that stood out to me uh, just afresh in this chapter is when Joab sends um, the message back that Uriah is dead, he says to the messenger, tell David that um, you know, he's going to be upset because we approached the wall. We were too close to the wall and the archers shot from the wall. David's going to be upset because men died in an unnecessary way. Joab knew the heart of David, that David cared for his people and he didn't want the people to die in a, a way that was unnecessary. So even Joab, this wicked man, he knew the heart of David towards his people. But what, how does David respond? It's like a totally different man. Ah, that's okay. The sword devours this one and that one. It's just going to happen. That's not David. But here he is. He's acting in a way that's totally unlike himself. Why? Because he's, he's sought his own pleasure and he's raging against all wise judgment. In addition to, to all these um, factors that, that led to his fall. I can't help but also think that the seeds of it were planted in the chapter before. Um, the chapter before shows us a David who was incredibly successful spiritually and incredibly successful with the Lord. Um, he'd shown unusual kindness to Mephibosheth. Um, he'd fought and successfully won several battles that um, put him in a great military position. Um, he was doing really, really well before the Lord and in what the Lord had given him to do. Um, and it's just a, just a reminder that the New Testament says 
Um, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he lest he fall. Um, and it's just Magad, you were saying you were saying earlier that there were no psalms written during this period. A lot of David's psalms were written um, in times when he was in distress, when he was fleeing, when he was in tribulation of soul. He sought the Lord earnestly. Um, and it, how common is that with us that when we're doing really well, we don't seek the Lord? There, there was a psalm written, of course, Psalm 51, but that was at the end. In this time when he was at home, not doing what he should be doing, that's when there were no psalms written and there was no nearness with the Lord. And just uh, like similar to that verse from from Second Corinthians, uh, or sorry, from First Corinthians, uh, let every man take heed lest he fall. Um, the Apostle Paul writes that in First in Corinthians, and then in Second Corinthians, he writes a similar verse almost as if to clarify. He says, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Um, he tells them how to do it. Maybe he realized that they weren't doing it properly. I'm, I'm not quite sure about the context between the two. But, um, and when we, when we see David close with the Lord, like in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17, for example, when he fought Goliath, he was close with the Lord. And his thoughts and actions were in captivity of the Lord. Um, the Lord led him. The Lord guided him. But then when he's far away from the Lord, you think of captivity. Captivity is it, it's, it's closeness. And so when the Lord was not guiding him, that's when we get Second Samuel uh, chapter 11 and 12. And when you think of David's life, like you're saying, Mike, at the beginning, um, when people think of David's life or David's mistake, this is what they think of. This is the one big, one big thing that stands out. And um, in contrast, the other big chapter is First uh, Samuel chapter 17 when he defeated Goliath. In one chapter, he defeated a giant, and in the other, a giant defeated him. He gave in. He was weak. He was far away from the Lord, and he couldn't withstand this giant, this lust of the flesh, because he did not take heed, and he fell, and because his thoughts were not in captivity. Yeah, I think that's a really good point you raised there, Peter, with um, the previous chapter and how it kind of led up to um, what happened here. And it really reminded me of um, the... uh, uh, time in uh, the Lord Jesus' life where he was on the Mount of Transfiguration. He took those three disciples with him and they had that really on the mountain experience as we as we know as a figure of speech now. And um, then right after that, we read as they um, came down again that they couldn't cast out a, a, a demon. And um, then the Lord has to say to them, this type is only able to be cast out by prayer and fasting. So really with that close connection and it's, I think, really um, a lesson to take away that um, if we have a, a time where we're really close to the Lord and we experience his nearness to us, um, then really the important thing is then after that to go on and then stay close to him rather than lose that touch and then um, then have that failure. A very important step is to be vigilant. Um, you know, we can we can have the best time with the Lord but only a few minutes later, as we just said, right, there is the temptation. You might rest a little bit, you had a good time, you read your Bible, you prayed, then you just say, oh, come, let's let's relax a little bit on my bed, wherever I am, right, just, just relaxing. Then I take my phone, go to YouTube and watch something, right? And then I see another video and watch something else and it's getting worse and worse. And at the end, you have the temptation there and you just click at it and you watch it. 
this is so close. We we should be aware of these things, right? We should never say that cannot happen to me. It will happen if we say that, uh, because then we think that we are so strong by ourselves. But Lord needs to protect us, and we need to ask Him to help us to give us the strength and the closeness with Him. We can overcome all these things. So for David, um, a lesson that we can learn, first thing is avoid it. Avoid being in a situation that is going to lead to you seeking your own pleasure, um, following after your own lusts and being enticed. Avoid it. Um, so there's a, another verse in Proverbs that I'd like to just mention. That's in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 15. Um, and it says, actually verse 14, enter not into the path of the wicked and go not in the way of evil men. First thing, avoid it. Avoid it. Uh, but if if you find yourself somewhere that is, you know, where you haven't avoided it, but so, you're somewhere in the vicinity, it says then pass not by it. Choose choose a different way. Um and then if you find yourself there in the situation, turn from it. That's the next thing. Turn away. Just turn around. Um, and the last instruction is get out of there. And that's, that's something that um, we need to be very careful of. If we, if we miss the avoid it, then we're going to be like David in the evening. The guy's been lying in bed all day. And now he's going for a walk on the roof, a stroll on the roof, when he should be out um, fighting with his people, being the king that he he has the responsibility of being leading his people. Um, there's a there's a verse I um, I thought of immediately when um, when Pete and Magid were um, sharing the verses from Corinthians. Um, it's in Ephesians chapter five, and the apostle Paul he says. Uh, it's a different context, but um, I think it's a helpful verse. Wake up, thou that sleepest, arise from among the dead, and the Christ shall shine upon thee. And then this verse, verse 15, see therefore how you walk carefully, not as unwise, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. We live in an evil world. And, you know, when we lose perspective, we can make Stupid decisions, um, but we don't want to act unwise. We don't want to act as unwise. We want to act as wise. We want to redeem the time. We want to make opportunities of our time and waste our time. Um, this is the, the first step. David was not um, utilizing, redeeming his time at this point. And um, I think in the King James, this um, book, carefully is walk circumspectly walk circumspectly means carefully looking around walk looking around be careful where your feet are treading be careful where you're going um, this is something that, that we need to, to take heed of don't lose perspective we live in an evil world we don't belong to this world imagine the the heart of david i'm sure the heart of david was like the heart of Joseph. You know, when Joseph was approached with 
this temptation of um, Potiphar's wife. He says, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Um, if, if David stepped back a bit and he had avoided this, um, I'm sure he would have looked and, you know, thought about a situation like this and thought the same words. How could I do this great wickedness? But because he didn't avoid it, because he walked down that path, he was unable to make that sound judgment. I really liked something that uh, Shady mentioned in passing yesterday, that the only person that Psalm 1 can truly be applied to is the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, He's the only person who's met every one of those things. Um, and if we're to look at that example, we're, if we're to aspire to be like him, and that's that's when we can walk circumspectly. But it's no easy thing. I mean, um, we read in Psalm 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Um, and if we're kind of ranking them in difficulty, this is not too bad. Walking not in the counsel of ungodly. Okay, this is an ungodly person. I'm not going to walk with them. Um, and then the end of verse 1 says, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Okay, this is a scornful person. I'm not going to sit with them. But in the middle, it says, nor stands in the path of sinners. And that's when we have to walk carefully and circumspectly, standing in the path of sinners. If I find myself just standing in a spot where I know that a sinner will come and pass by, that is where sinners, that's the path of sinners. That's the way that sinners come by. If I know that I'm standing there, that's when I need to get out of there. And that's when I have to be careful and walk circumspectly. So it's no easy task, but um, that's why we have the Lord Jesus there for encouragement and for help. So we find David took her um, as laid with her. And we, we see then afterwards, he get a message. He get a message that um, he, oh, in, this, in this way, he becomes in the, at the same time an adult, adulterer and a father. And we see that he gets the message that says, I am with child. And What is the reaction? What is the reaction of David? Does he regret anything? Does he think, oh no, what did I do? It's another person's wife and now she's with child and um, how can I solve this problem? Maybe he thought, how can I solve this problem? But not in the right way, right? He's just about to cover up what he has done. And he tries, and as we already heard, he tries to kill and he did in the end. He was responsible, even though he did not kill him in himself. But this is, uh, I don't know how is it in, um, in Australia or New Zealand, but in Germany, if you uh, do have the intention to, do, to kill someone, it's like murder. It's like a direct murder. So it's uh, taken like a direct murder legally. I'm not sure how it is there. But for God, we see that he was the responsible person, right? This is the, the main aspect. And he just, um, he sent to Joab and said, send me a writer, right? The, the first thing is, he has several steps, but the first thing is, send him to me. I will cover it up. He just to, should go to, to his wife and then everyone will think, oh, that's a writer's uh, son, not my son. So he just tries to, to, to figure out the problem. He can't, right? Orijah, he's a real honorable man. He is a soldier, a true one. He does not uh, let him be involved in, in a kind of way that is not honorable. So he decided when he came to David, 
not to go to his wife, to stay with his with his soldiers, to stay with his men. And this shows a real opposite to David, right? David just tried to to cover up something because he realized this was is not honorable. I, he tried to keep his position, his is um, what the people would think about him should be in order and everything should be fine, right? So that that's what he was trying to to work out. But we see, Orijah, he didn't need that because his behavior was according to that what the people thought. And this is something uh, that we have to say at the end. We will see that Orijah he died as an honorable man. David, he had to live with that thought, with that remark, or with that spot um, his whole life. And even afterwards, in, when, we, when we read in uh, 1 Kings 15, we see that there is, even there, and David was dead, 15, verse 5, it says, Because David did what that which was right in the sight of Jehovah, and turned not aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life, except in the matter of Raja the Hitan. And this is clear, right? He had to live with that, even though um, he was a man after God's heart. This was something that had a huge impact on David and on those around David, his fall. Um, just think about the, the commandments that he broke. He, we've talked about it. He committed adultery, he stole that which wasn't his, he murdered, he didn't display love for the Lord, his God, he followed after his own lusts, um, he coveted. Um, uh, you, can, you can just think of all of these things that, that he did um, and the effect was, I mean, think about Bathsheba losing her husband, Uriah, he was murdered. It wasn't just Uriah. There were other men who died because of this. Um, Joab sent men close to the wall, amongst whom were Uriah, and then they withdrew back from them. And I don't know how many people died, but it was more than just Uriah because of this action. Um, and then the, the child that's born, that child dies. But most of all, most of all, the reproach that's brought on the name of the Lord. That's, that's something that, that Nathan says to, to David when he's approaching him about it, chapter 12, that he has he's brought this honor to the Lord. And this is, you know, our sin has consequences. It has consequences for our life. It has consequences for the lives of those around us. And a man in responsibility like this, David, how how great is the fall? Uh, and we have to be careful because we're all in responsibility. We all have our own responsibilities. And we don't want to be the cause of dishonor to the Lord and grief to ourselves and, and those around us. Yeah, the consequences of, of this action actually lasted a long time. Um, three more of David's sons would die as a result. We read in uh, chapter 12, verse 6, Nathan tells him, um, oh, sorry, David replies to Nathan, and he tells him that this man in the story that Nathan told, he says, this man shall restore fourfold for the lamb 
because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And this is exactly how much David paid. He, he repaid the loss fourfold. He lost the baby that was born, only one week old. And then he lost the other three sons as well. Amnon was killed. Um, Absalom was killed and Adonijah was killed. Three of them while David was still alive. David died before three of his, four, three of his sons. Um, and so the consequences lasted a long time. And this just goes to confirm that sin does have consequence. And we see that the Lord rewarded David for those times where David was near to the Lord. But the Lord, there will be consequences for sin. We saw this yesterday with the Ziphites. The Ziphites did not stand with the Lord's anointed and they were not rewarded when the time came. There were consequences. I thought it might be important um, not to finish on a, uh, on a low note, but to finish on a, on a high note. Um, Jan Nicholas just asked me a question about my background picture. Um, something Mike said made me search for it. The picture's called Thou Art the Man. And, you know, if, um, if Joab knew David's heart, if Joab knew that David cared for sheep and cared for his people as for sheep, how much more God? God knew what was deep down in David's heart, and he made use of that in bringing about his restoration. So what's the story that Nathan tells David? It's a story about a little lamb. And he goes straight to the heart of David. And in going straight to his heart, he also goes to his conscience. When he says, thou art the man, the response from David is not like Saul. I think Seher said a couple of times, one of the great things about David is that he learned from his mistakes and he learned quickly. When he repented, he repented genuinely. It wasn't like Saul. Saul who said, I've sinned, walk with me now and honour me before the people. That wasn't David. David was willing to accept the sentence of God upon him, that the death of the four in his family, yeah, and all of the other consequences. But that psalm that he subsequently wrote, Psalm 51, wow, that is just, if we want to study something, that's worth studying. There's a, a series of offerings in the offerings in Leviticus that are really complicated. Years ago, we had some studies and, and Pete said the burnt offering, the, and the meal offering, the trespass offering, you know, they're fairly simple. But the sin offering and the trespass offering, wow, they're complicated. Whenever man's sin comes in, things get really complicated. I don't know if you remember that, Pete. But um, it sure is. And there's, there's kind of three different situations presented in those offerings. There's, there's one where the problem is sin and guilt. There's another problem where there's uncleanness. And there's another problem where there's unfaithfulness. And for sin and guilt, the sinner needs forgiveness. Where there's uncleanness, he needs cleansing. Where there's unfaithfulness, he needs righteousness. And if you read Psalm 51, they're exactly the three parts of Psalm 51. 
David gets forgiven from his sin. He gets cleansing from his uncleanness and he receives righteousness from God. And at the end of that psalm, he says, um, if I can find it, the last verse, then shalt thou have sacrifices of righteousness, burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then shall they offer up bullocks upon thine altar. For David, in the sin that he committed, there was no sacrifice. In those Old Testament sacrifices, there is no sacrifice for premeditated sin. That was David's sin. It was premeditated. He knew what he was doing. He made plans for it. He prepared for it, whether with Bathsheba or whether with Uriah and what he did to him. He, he thought about it in advance. He decided what he was going to do. There was no sacrifice available for him. But in that psalm, he comes almost onto Christian ground and he says the sacrifices of God are a contrite spirit. He wasn't thinking about a need to offer bullocks and stuff like that. He totally humbled himself in the presence of God. But this came about because God knew his heart and he sent Nathan, just the right man, at just the right time, with just the right message. So there's lots of encouragement in that. We can be Nathans to help our brothers and sisters. We can be Davids, learning from our mistakes. We can respond to the correction of God in the right way and experience the wonderful restoration that only God can provide. I'm sure others will say other things, but I just wanted to make sure we didn't leave this on a on a sad note, looking only at David's failure. His acknowledgement is immediate, isn't it? Um, when, when Nathan confronts him, David says to Nathan, I have sinned against Jehovah. He, didn't, he knew his sin was first and foremost against the Lord. How gracious the response of Nathan um, and how gracious the heart of the Lord towards David. Jehovah has also put away thy sin. This was something that God sees the response of his heart. You know, we, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And he was a man who was as we've heard, ready to confess his sin straight away. I have sinned against Jehovah. And the result of that, Psalm 51 mentioned, the Lord has put away, it says. Even in this moment when Nathan's speaking to him, it doesn't say just, you know, repent and the Lord will forgive you. It's Jehovah has also put away my sin. I think Brother Kelly said once, we never need the knowledge of God's love and his uh, willingness to forgive more than in this moment when we have sinned. I think this is absolutely true. And we see that David exactly gets it here, right? He said, I have sinned. And Nathan said, the Lord forgives you. There comes something that follows up, but the Lord is always willing to forgive. And this is great. He's there. He's there with a willing heart to to forgive and we need to know that when we have sinned 
that we come, can come to him. Over the last days, I got many, many questions about this, about this subject. I have sinned. Can God forgive me? Does he still love me? And so on. And this is so important that we know, as, as, as Mike just said, when we confess our sins, he will forgive. There's no limitation. There's not something, only little sins, only big things, only once, only twice. No, no limitation at all. He forgives always. But we have to, we have to admit, as David said, I have sinned. Then he forgives in a great way. And then we can know that there will be, if the Lord restores us, there will be a perfect restoration. In the same way as others experience it, like David or like uh, Peter. Sorry, I wanted to go back to the sad note for one minute and then we can continue with the happy note. In chapter 11, one word is repeated uh, many times and it's good to, to look at. In verse 3, it says, And David sent and inquired after the woman. In verse 4, it says, And David sent messengers and took her. And then in verse 6, it says, And David sent to, to Joab, saying, Send me Uriah. Then going for verse 14, it says, And it came to pass in the morning that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by Uriah. Four times the word sent is mentioned. And then when he's speaking with... Um, when he heard the message from the messenger, he said to him, let not this thing displease thee. But the Holy Spirit made sure that we know that David here was wrong because at the end of the chapter, he says, David had done, what David had done was evil in the sight of Jehovah. And the first word that's mentioned in the next chapter, in chapter 12, and Jehovah sent Nathan. If David's going to send four times and do this bad thing, the answer came from Jehovah, and Jehovah sent Nathan. And he told them, what you've done in secret, I will do it before the sun, before all of Israel. Mm -hmm. Two chapters on in chapter 14. Sorry, chapter 13. And verse 7. It says, when Amnon requested that his sister come to him, it says, and David sent home to Tamar saying, go. And imagine when she came back to David, how he felt how he felt when he thinks to himself, it was me who sent uh, Tamar to Amnon. And it probably took his mind back to this incident in chapter 11. Well, it was me who sent and inquired after the woman. It was me who sent to Joab, telling him to send Uriah back. It was me who sent and took the woman again. It was me who sent the letter to kill Uriah. The same thing, it's almost a mirror image. So in God, sending Nathan to David, it was really a, a mercy for him because how long could David live in this um, state? I don't know how long after this was, but the child had been born um, already. Um, she bore him a son. It's verse, last verse of chapter 11. Um, so this was some time after the incident that Nathan comes to David but as soon as, you know, we have to recognize what's in our own heart. We always try and cover up um, our own faults. But um, we know that he who covers his sin shall not prosper. But he that confesses it um, 
we shall you'll find I don't know the exact words of the verse it's a proverb as well that he shall find forgiveness um, so Greg mouthing it then I think it was mercy mercy yeah um, and here it's a mercy from the Lord that Nathan sent and David is confronted and that leads to his repentance and repentance even repentance is is from the Lord our confessing our sins this is something that is from him and it just brought to my mind the the mercy that it was that that woman caught in adultery was brought before the Lord and not before the high priest um, I wonder if she had been brought in front of Caiaphas or Annas what would have happened to her um, but she was brought before the Lord and the Lord says where are those who condemn you they're not there and he says neither do I condemn you go and sin no more um, repentance is from the Lord and it's a mercy from the Lord it's a it's his graciousness towards us and yeah I think we learn a lot from from David here to be to be ready to respond to the Lord in a way that's right not be self-righteous and defend ourselves Pharisees were self-righteous. They did not um, have any room for repentance. They didn't need to repent. They were righteous men on the outside, but inside um, whitewashed sepulchres. What's inside a sepulchre? What's inside a grave? It's rotting decay. Um, And we want to be responsive to, to the Lord and respond like David. And he was restored. What the Lord records of him in the New Testament, it's blessing, really. David's heart and conscience weren't only pricked, but he knew that this was mercy from the Lord. He knew it very well. And the first word he says in Psalm 51, have mercy upon me, O God. That's how he starts his confession. He knows that the Lord knows the mistake. He knows that there's nothing he does. He doesn't deserve anything from the Lord, but he comes and he says, Lord, have mercy. Okay, just read two verses from Psalm 103. Psalm 103, verse 8, 9. Jehovah is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, anger and abundant and loving kindness. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. I don't want to prolong things, but um, some, some, a lot, many years ago, I picked up a series of know, six or seven books called Bible Characters by a man named Alexander White. And I googled him, and he's, he's often called the Prince of Preachers. In his books on Bible characters, I, I kind of found that he, he um, gives too much credibility to Greek fables and stuff. Anyway. When it comes to David and Absalom, he makes this comment about David when Absalom was killed. And David says, Absalom, Absalom, oh, my son, Absalom. And Alexander White says, what do you expect, David? You're just getting what you deserved. Think about your family life. Think about the sins you committed. And I, I kind of, oh, um, perhaps there's some... Um, that there's something in which he was right in saying that. But I thought to myself, 
isn't it better to fall into the hands of God than to fall into the hands of Alexander White? And this is what Mike was saying about the, the, the woman taken in adultery, what he was saying about David here. And haven't we got a wonderful God, a wonderful Lord, one who focuses on our restoration, not on condemnation? Just, um, I know our time has gone well over, but I feel like it's been spent profitably. Um, Psalm 51, we've been mentioning it um, and we've quoted from it already. Verse 12 and 13, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and let a willing spirit sustain me. I will teach transgressors thy ways and sinners shall return unto thee. Let the stealer steal no more, but let him work diligently with his hands that he might provide for others who are in need. We, we, know, we know ourselves, we know our hearts, we know how wicked we are. We, we know the words of the Apostle Paul when he wrote in Romans 7. He says, I know that within me is within my flesh nothing good dwells. And when, we're, when we're focused on ourselves, when we're focused on our own lusts, the worst things can happen. Like I was saying at the start, if you didn't know anything about David, you would think this is a wicked man if you just read chapter 11. But we learn from our mistakes and the Lord is Lord of restoration like we've just heard. And what we learn from David says, I will teach transgressors thy ways and sinners shall return unto thee. That the Lord can use our mistakes to be lessons, can use our mistakes to bring blessing. This is not a reason to sin. You know, the, the Apostle Paul, he totally refutes that. He says, what, shall we sin so that grace may abound? No, absolutely not. Um, but God is gracious. And, and what happens from this Bathsheba's in the lineage of the Lord Jesus himself. Solomon's born. He's the next son born. God is so gracious. and His restoration is complete. And he's able to work out of things that are absolutely terrible. He's able to work out something unimaginably wonderful. And, yeah, we need to take these things to heart, to learn from our mistakes, not, not to do them again, but to respond in the way that David did in Psalm 51 um, and learn from what we've done and serve the Lord as we ought.